0: How do you put into words what you feel when you hear the ancient words related to the Messiah? Does it affect you like me when you hear words like Isaiah chapter 9, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light? For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. Doesn't, I know those are ancient words. Don't. Or if you flip over to Isaiah 40, comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. I was listening to Handel's Messiah the other day, and track number two. He'd be funny. Track? What's a track? What's Spotify? What? And it just starts with this male voice singing the word "comfort" slowly. Comfort my people. Instantly, I'm crying. That's just with the words "comfort my people." Comfort ye my people. Comfort ye my people. Just repeats it over and over. Comfort ye my people, saith the Lord. Declare her, her sins are forgiven. Tell her the war is over. Tell her she's already paid double for her sins now. And these words, these words of Isaiah that, I mean, Isaiah didn't, he didn't know. Half the time, the Old Testament prophets, they didn't really understand what they were saying. He didn't know that we would be taking that and turning that into our longing for Jesus. But just comfort my people. And I, I can't hardly put into words what it is that, that affects me so deeply. Not so much the sentimental cuteness of family together. That, that annoys me. That's the stressful part of Christmas. It is. It's the cooking and the cleaning and the traveling and the getting and going and the being and the family dynamics and the going back to, you know, the 30 year obsolete family dynamics. You get into your parents' house, the next thing you know, you're 15 again. And all the, the, you take on these roles and all. That's not it to me. That's not Christmas. Christmas is Jesus. Christmas is the longing, the longing for Jesus. I don't know if you've noticed this as you've have you read your Bible, but every time God makes a promise to somebody, He keeps that promise. And every time He keeps that promise, He violates your expectations. Amen. It never looks like you thought it would look. Ever. Never. And we sometimes go, oh, how could the Jews miss it? Jesus was so obviously He was the fulfillment of 927 passages of the Bible. How dumb do you got to be? Uh, what about the 927 times the Lord promised you something and you missed it when it happened? It never looks like you think it's going to look ever. Never once. They were they were they were longing. If you look in Luke chapter two, Simeon and Anna are in the temple. It says Simeon was a, a righteous and devout man who was longing for the rescue of Israel, for the rescue of Jerusalem. He was longing for the rescue of Jerusalem. He was a Jew. The Jews were under Roman oppression. The evil Roman kingdom, the Roman Empire, had kept them squished down for so many years. And they knew they had these prophecies that that said, one day, like God used to, he's going to anoint one of us. There's going to be one of us that God anoints with the power of the Spirit. you familiar with the book of Judges? What did God do when, when the people got involved in sin? What did he do? Well, Before he sent a redeemer, what, what did he do when the people got involved in sin? They follow other gods. They, we usually do pretty good when, when, it's, when it's hard. In times of trouble when we're desperate, when we're in over our head and we don't have what we need and we know we, don't ha- we, 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 don't, we need God. We do okay when, it's, when we're struggling, like, like Stan talked about a, f- a few months ago or weeks ago. Where we struggle is when we're doing fine. We forget the Lord. We get full of ourselves. And we say, look what I got. Look what I did. I'm doing fine. Or like my one friend, when I tried to talk to her about Jesus, she said, why do I need to worry about Jesus? I ain't dead yet. The people, When we get into sin, God's, God says, okay, fine then, have it your way. And the next thing you know, we're in trouble. And they, then the enemy armies come and they mess us up and they rob from us and our lives get really hard. And then we finally, when things are hard enough, we cry out to the Lord in our distress, help me, I need you. And then he, he's very nice. <laughs> he says, okay. I would love to help you. I've been waiting to help you. I've wanted to help you this whole time. But I had to wait. And then he would, his way of helping his people in the Old Testament, and specifically in the book of Judges, it's called the Judges Cycle. The people turn away from the Lord. Then God allows the enemies to dominate them. And then we go, oh, no, and we return to the Lord and we say, oh, help, help. And then God's solution is he sends the Holy Spirit to somebody Not everybody, which is interesting. Somebody. A deliverer who is anointed with the Spirit. And then someone like a Samson. You know that story? And he has supernatural power to fight the enemies of God's people. Or someone like a Gideon. Or someone like a Jephthah. Or someone like a Deborah. And, and God's people, the Jews, at the time before Jesus was born, were fully expecting, here we go again, one of these days God's going to send an anointed one that's greater than the judges, an anointed one that's actually fulfillment in fulfillment of the promise he gave to David. He told, God told David, I'm going I'm to give your kingdom. David said, can I build you a temple, please? God said, uh, I got a better idea. How about you're trying to build me a house? How about I'm going to build you a house? I'm going to set your son on the throne of my kingdom forever. Now we know when the Romans were there, there was no son of David on the throne of Israel. And these Jewish people, every time they'd get a promise from God, it seemed like instead of the promise, it would get pushed out further, further, further away. But then when it came, it was bigger than they expected. Like, have you ever noticed that God promised Abraham the land of Israel? But that Jesus told us that the meek will inherit That's quite a bit bigger. And that the Jews were expecting an anointed son of David, someone in the lineage of the judges, but also in the lineage of David to come and lead a military war. For the sake of political Israel to, op- to destroy the Roman oppressed. This is fully what even the disciples believed. Not just your average Jew. The disciples of Jesus fully expected that Jesus would be a political ruler with political power, destroying Rome, giving independence to the Jewish people in their land. Fully what they expected. But God's way is to anoint someone with the Spirit. Did you know that that word, anointed one, you remember that, right? Samuel, when Samuel goes to the house of Jesse? The prophet Samuel? Raise your hand if you know Samuel. Okay. The prophet, he goes to the house of Jesse, investigates, says, ah, it doesn't seem like it's any of these guys. You got any more kids? Jesse says, ah, there's a runt, but I keep him out with the sheep. I guess I could bring him too. David comes in, and Samuel says, that's the one. What does he do? Do you guys remember what he does? He pours oil on the boy. What does that mean? He has a little ram's horn full of oil that he keeps with him, because they didn't have plastic. So he opens it up and pours it on, the, on his head. That's a sign. What does it mean? What does it mean for David to be anointed? It's a symbol of God's presence anointing him for leadership. Now, David was 14 more years before he took the throne. 14 more years. 14 more years of the opposite happening. 14 more years of being hunted by Saul, the actual king at the time, who God rejected because he didn't have the right heart. But that word, anointed, in Hebrew is Mashiach. And yes, you do have to say with kh- <laughs> the back of your throat. <laughs> it's not Mashiach, white people. <laughs> mashiach means anointed. In Greek, it's the word Christos. We in English say it as Christ. When I grew up, I thought Christ was Jesus' last name. You know? It's not His name. It means He's the one that was longed for. Who is going to deliver us? Now, deliver us from what? Our enemies. That's totally what they expected. Again, even the disciples fully expected. One day... One day all this oppression will stop. One day all this not living under the Lord's blessing will stop. One day will finally, have you ever noticed, guys, how hard it is in this world? Have you noticed? Have you noticed sin and sickness and broken relationships and the seasons of your life passing and not one of them being perfect and all of them being a mixture of Really, really cool and hard and terrible. And have you ever noticed how this thing kind of accumulates in you? You learn lessons along the way. And for whatever reason, the longing, the longing for what life should be like gets pinned in the Jewish In the Old Testament, this longing for for what God really made us for starts to get hung on this figure of the Messiah. Well, when the Messiah comes, this is the logic. Yeah, 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 it's really hard right now. It's really bad right now. But when the Messiah comes, then it'll start working like it's supposed to work. What's it? Well, if you're Abraham and Sarah, it's your womb. It's your land. It's your legacy. They had a piece of it. If you're the Jewish people, it's your, it's your what about us? It's, it's your tribe. It's your, it's your land. They had a little piece of the picture, but they missed the picture. And if it's you and me, I suspect we have this little piece of what we expect when Jesus comes. And I find this particular season of, of the church calendar... Very strange because we're remembering Jesus' first arrival in his little humble human born to poor people in the middle of nowhere with it was just a complete stroke of sovereignty that the shepherds who people that was not those are not respectable people by the way. That's not important dignitaries. He's, God skips Herod and the shepherds are first, and the wise men are foreigners. If <laughs> you notice that? They're foreigners, not even Jewish people that come and recognize in the sky the signs. But what in the world is it that's deep in, in my soul and maybe your soul that's, that when we hear words like the people living in darkness and in the shadow of death have seen a great light? We go, oh, yes, Jesus. It really works for me that it's in the cold, dead season of the year. That adds to the, to the help of it, the truth of it. It really works for me that in the middle of the longings, where, where the whole world feels like it's holding its breath, at least here in the Northern Hemisphere. Have you ever thought about how weird it is that in December in Australia, it's summer? Weird. Also, it must be weird for them to be standing upside down all the time. That's not right. Do they know? Somebody? Does their coffee fall out? Do they? Okay. But these promises for Jesus, they, they, they touch us deeper. And I'm not even sure what I'm longing for. Because I don't fully understand what it will be when the king comes. I don't. I don't understand what life's going to be like when the king finally returns and sets up his kingdom on earth. I know he will. But when he will, I guarantee my expectations will be violated. Because he always keeps his promise and he never does it the way I expect. He kept his promise to Abraham and to David and to every saint in the whole Old Testament, whoever trusted him and followed him. He kept his promise. He's never been wrong. He's never wronged anyone. He's never sinned against anyone. He's never neglected anyone. And he's always been exactly like Jesus. But it's never looked how any of us really said, that's what it's going to look like. So it's a weird season for me. Let me read some Isaiah 40 to you. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Tell her her sad days are gone and her sins are pardoned. Yes, the Lord has punished her twice over for all her sins. Listen, it's the voice of someone shouting, Clear the way through the wilderness for the Lord. Make straight a highway through the wasteland for our God. Fill in the valleys. Level the mountains and hills. Straighten the curves, smooth out the rough places. Who's that? Who's that talking about? John the Baptist. Isn't it funny that John the Baptist says he's not the Elijah who is to come, and then Jesus says he is the Elijah who is to come, and then quotes this passage saying, This is what my cousin's John was about. He fulfilled this passage. Isn't that interesting? John says, no, 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 that's not me. Jesus says, that's him. Fill in the valleys, level the mountains and hills, straighten the curves, smooth out the rough places. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all people will see it together. The Lord has spoken. I'm gonna read all the way down to verse 11. A voice said, shout, and I asked, What should I shout? That's, I don't know. If you're a prophet, you ever read the Bible as a prophet, trying to figure out how to do your job better? Yeah. I recently had a conversation with somebody where I was sharing some visionary experiences with a group of young people, and my translator said he thought I was crazy. Yeah, because he's an Engineer, kind of analytic in your brain, kind of a person. And nobody told him that he's allowed to have emotions. You know? Right? I read this stuff, a voice said, Shout. And I said, What do I shout? And I'm like, Whew, That resonates. Shout that the people are like grass and their beauty fades just as quickly as the flowers in a field. The grass withers, the flowers fade beneath the breath of the Lord, and so it is with people. The grass withers, the flowers fade. But the word of our God stands forever. Have you feel have you feel the older you get, the more you feel that? Life is so short, and then when you're dead, people who didn't work for it get all your stuff, and it means nothing. The older I get, the less I think anything matters. I mean, besides, like honestly, I'm serious. The big stuff isn't big. The small stuff probably actually is big. And the only thing that really matters at the end of the day is, do I love Jesus, and am I loving him in the the face of the people in front of me? Because everything else is gone. And your great accomplishments, they're forgotten within the time that two generations away from you is dead, because they're the only ones who knew you or your story, and they're gone, and they forgot. And then, I, and then I sometimes I go, oh, everything's meaningless, is this Bible even true? And then I read the Bible and it says what I've been saying, and I go, oh, good. I'm serious, Luke. Like the one day I started thinking about our sun dying, and the, the heat death of the entire universe, that all the whole universe is made of energy and it's all burning down. It's like a battery running out, and I started going, I wonder how long planet Earth has at best. It's like life on Earth is going to all be gone in a million and a half years, and two and a half million years it'll be the sun starts to go supernova and then it and it goes away and then i thought what about the species what are we going to do i'm just talking about from a scientific perspective like take the bible out of it and just from a scientific perspective and i got all depressed that day and then i read on isaiah that heaven and earth will wear out like an old garment and they'll be replaced But you remain. And I thought, how in the world does a man who lived 500 years before Jesus already understand the heat death of the universe and the death of our star and the end of everything material? And I'm over here freaking out about it going, I don't know if the people in the Bible understood it. He understood it 500 years before Jesus. That's helpful. People are like grass. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Zion, messenger of good news, shout it from the mountaintops. Shout it louder, O Jerusalem. Shout and don't be afraid. Tell the towns of Judah your God is coming. And he came. And they missed him. And they crucified him. I'm just saying, he keeps his promise and violates our expectations. Yes, the sovereign Lord is coming in power. He will rule with a powerful arm. He brings his reward with him as he comes. And he'll feed his flock like a shepherd. Man, this verse is so good. You preached on this a while back, didn't you, Carl? Didn't you preach the whole chapter of Isaiah 40? Listen to this. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will carry the lambs in his arms, holding them close to his heart. He will gently lead the mother sheep with their young. What? Or in the King James, and he will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Something even nicer about that. King James sometimes says it in a way that's like, oh, it's this image of, of Jesus coming and he's, he's absolutely violent. violent to the wicked, to the enemies. And he's absolutely tender to the beloved, to his people. This is one of my definitions of what a true man is. A true man is a threat. A true man is a dangerous, violent threat to anything that threatens the beloved. But a true man is tender and gentle to the beloved. Do you you get what I'm talking about? Like, I think, I think sometimes about these kind of, what is a true man? And I'm like, well, I think Jesus might be the, the best example of what a man is. And here in these verses, we have this, like this. He's coming to rule the nations with justice and firmness and even fierceness towards wickedness. But he will gently carry the young and, and the, he'll gently lead the mothers with young. Anyway, anyway I, don't need to, I don't need to preach long. I'm just trying to say this is a... I've been studying eschatology recently. Do you know what that is, by the way? Eschatology. The study of the end. End times. Amen. Cool. So I've been studying this stuff and... Oh, it's so boring. It's like reading a car. It's like reading an engineering spec sheet for the, for the underside of a, what's under the hood of a car. Yeah, yeah, I'm dead serious. You get charts and graphs and dispensational, premillennial, amillennial, postmillennial, pre-trib, post-trib, no-trib preterist partial preterist all these different definitions and what's fulfilling Matthew 23 and the first half of Matthew 24 and what about Revelation 4 through 18 and what do these people believe about this and how does this fulfill this and who's the beast and who's the mom and who's the ugh, and what's the mark of the beast and all this boring nonsense and it's been really good for my soul because once you get past all the boring nonsense, you get to what is really going on here. And what's really going on here is it's, all these passages are answering the question, how will Jesus bring his kingdom to earth? And obviously, I have a different perspective. I have a different perspective on just about everything. I have a different perspective. But I'm reading in this, and I'm thinking about this, and it's really caused me to 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 see how precious it is that Jesus is bringing his kingdom to earth. He's reigning in heaven right now. Right now, he sits on the throne. He is reigning. And Hebrews says he's waiting for his enemies to be made his footstool. We know he has all authority in heaven and earth. So this Christmas... By the way, I'm not saying the Bible passages are boring. No. I'm saying hearing all the human opinions. It's like reading science manual instead of standing by the ocean and feeling small. Do you know what I mean? Yes. If I read a science thing, it says that water is H2O, and then they show me a little chart of it. But that doesn't convey the feeling I have when I stand next to the ocean. When I read my Bible, I'm standing next to the ocean. When I read the eschatology of humans, I feel like I'm standing next to somebody grunting. It's just really annoying. Someone chewing their food loudly behind me at the theater. I'm serious. I'm like, you know, maybe I should just stick to my own work, walk with God. It's <laughs> yeah. But it's made, it's made these passages, these promises about the coming king, really precious for me this year. Enduring the boring stuff of digging through the details of the Bible passages has, has made me go, oh man, we always get it wrong and God always keeps his promise and his kingdoms different than we thought it would be. His promise is usually bigger than we thought it would be. It usually includes more than we expected it to include. And this is a really dumb way to say it, but I never wanted to uh, be a Mennonite or or marry a Mennonite. You know what I mean? You don't pray about, you're probably not praying for a Mennonite man. He's praying for a man. Oh, you're not even praying for a man. You don't want to be picked on. Okay, who can we pick on? I took one. I took one look at Israel, and he smiled. And I said, "I'm, I'm going to leave him alone." <laughs> I do remember at Bible, Bible College, one of my friends graduated from Bible from Rosedale, and they all had these little verses for what's next. And she took this verse out of context. Where where <laughs> it says, "And now get me a man," and it was David calling for someone to bring him something. It was like, a, <laughs> "Give me a man to bring me a thing." And she's like, took the first half of the verse, cut it, pasted it. And now bring me man. (laughs) No, I. Jesus is called the desire of nations. You know, and his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. What will it be like, guys? Some of us actually, and I've said this so much, some of us think that when Jesus comes in his glory and all his holy angels come with him and we rise to meet him in the air. Right? And, he's, and, he, and then he descends and, and judges the, the nations, separates left from right, sheep from goats, and says to those on his right, Come, you blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom, prepared for you before the foundations of the world. And he says things like, enter into your master's happiness, because God's happy. And then it says you've been faithful in a few things. You will be entrusted with many things, which means we have jobs to do. We have work to do in heaven. What if we get to heaven and it's, and it's actually a continuation of life? And we, weren't, we didn't want a continuation of life. Some of us literally just wanted a big eternal nap and a milkshake. We wanted, a, we wanted an eternal Saturday. Saturday. We just wanted to sleep in and have a pancake breakfast followed by a binge session of video games. An eternal Saturday. And it's not that. Like, I'm just saying, what will the kingdom be like? I don't know. Honestly, I don't know. And when we even... Joke and talk about this. Doesn't a part of your brain say this is foolishness and part of you even says it's not true? Like when I was at Tony Gaiman's beautiful funeral and there was so much peace that everyone was giving you the right gospel answers and I started to be frustrated. And I went to Dave Chupp and I said, is anyone in here even angry? How's come we're just, it's all the comforting positive things my friend Tony died of cancer, and, and, and it was dehumanizing for her. First, she suffered a lot. Yes, she did. And she knows Jesus, but isn't anyone angry? I said, is anyone in here cussing? And Dave says to me, Tim, first of all, we're in church. No, she was a sweet She's amazing. Tony was all, always is amazing. Like when, when Asaya died, and I talked to her. She, was, she blew my mind. When she found out she had cancer and I talked to her, she blew my mind. And you go, what does this have to do with Christmas? For me, everything. Everything. Because I expect that when the king comes, that's one of the enemies that will bow. And I'm tired of that enemy. I'm tired of hearing the word cancer. I'm tired of funerals for young people and funerals for moms that aren't ready yet. I'm tired, exactly. So I don't even know why when he says, comfort my people, I cry. I don't know what I'm crying about. I can't put into words, I'm not eloquent enough to put the weight my soul has accumulated in my, only, in my short 45 years. I don't know how to put into words why. And you go, well, Tim, but that's not why. You should be in love with Jesus. I, I am in love with Jesus. It's a combo of things. I want to know him better. I want to see him clearer. I want his kingdom to come. But I also, am, I'm tired of living in darkness. Yes. And it says, "A people who live in darkness have seen a great light." Guys, I have Jesus on the inside, but I'm still in a fallen world. Amen. And 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 part of having Jesus on the inside in a fallen world, Romans eight says, "We who have the first fruits of the spirit groan. We groan inwardly. We're longing for." his kingdom to, to consummate. We want Jesus to come back and really reign, to really, really reign. Yes. Yeah, so Dave says, well, first of all, we're in church. <laughs> okay, that's valid. And he goes, and secondly, you don't know what we're doing and behind closed doors. I'm furious and he starts crying. And I'm like, finally, now we're having a funeral. Let's, let's, can we let it out? Can we say, like, this is stupid and I hate this. I'm so sick and tired of death. Like, even Jesus, Jesus, cried at Lazarus' tomb. And then some people go, mm, he was crying about your unbelief, Tim. Have you heard that one? He was crying over your unbelief. That's what made him cry. And I'm like... Bro, what? You don't think he's crying over the state of the world under the conditions of sin and death? You don't think he loved Lazarus and he loves Mary and he loves Martha? You don't think he feels what we feel? I think he feels what we feel. I'm so sick and tired of people giving God the credit for the crap that goes wrong in the world. I'm tired of it. All right, okay, stop preaching. Let me, let me finish. He becomes one of us. He comes, he takes on flesh, he becomes one of us. He violates understandings and every... They didn't understand it was going to be God. They thought it was going to be one of them, empowered with the Spirit, to kick the bad guy's butt. In other words, they expected... About a three-yard three run in a football field, right? They, they a three-yard hand-the-ball, three-yard progress. And what, they got, and what they got was the whole field just disappears and the game changes completely. And the Gentiles come in and our sins are forgiven and resurrection from the dead happens and the Father is revealed incredibly and every promise in the Old Testament is shown to be a seed which doesn't look anything like you expect. His promise is like an acorn. If I handed you an acorn and you'd never been to planet Earth and I said, what do you think this will look like when it's full grown? I doubt you'd you'd show me an oak tree. I doubt you'd draw me an oak tree. And that's God's promises to us. They come to us in acorn form and who knows what they'll be. In fact, Paul says, you don't even know what you'll be at the resurrection. What are you going to be? C.S. Lewis says, if you saw the person next to you in the age to come, they're either changing into something so hideous and demonic that would terrify you or something so godlike and beautiful that when you see them, you'll be tempted to worship. You've never met an ordinary human being. Because what we are now is only a seed of what will be then. And similarly, God's kingdom. Jesus came as the seed and he planted it in the earth. And that kingdom's been growing ever since. And his kingdom is winning, you guys. Right now, of the increase of his government and kingdom, there will be no end. It's in Isaiah 9 that I just read earlier. It's growing. It's, been, it's still. The, it's the, most, it's the, it's the dominant worldview on planet earth. There's, the, the close second isn't close. Every day, like 200, how is it 200,000 people come to Jesus every single day. Yes, there are persecutions. Yes, there are troubles. Yes, there are dangers. But the kingdom of God has been advancing from day one, and you and I can get in on it. But it really doesn't depend fully on us. When I grew up, that's what we thought. People, the the evangelists put guilt on us and said, it all depends on you. How did I meet God out in the, in the, in the wilderness with Nobody if it all depends on people. We, we're we privileged to be a part of the expanding kingdom. Amen. But it actually depends on him. And he's doing things, and he's acting, and he's moving. And his kingdom wins. Jesus wins. It's the, it, all the boring stuff I was reading. The good part of it is the fact that all Christians believe in common. We win. And the book of Revelation is like, is like somebody... At the baseball game when your team won the World Series, they just put the phone on speakerphone and they let you hear the crowds freaking out in advance. The we win, we win, we win, we win. And now it says, eventually, at the end of your Bible, the kingdoms of the earth have become the kingdom of our God and of his Christ and he will reign forever and ever and ever and God shall dwell among them and he will wipe every tear from their eye and sorrow and sighing will flee away and there will be no more night for God himself will dwell among them and he will be the light. Man, I don't even know how to imagine that. I know it's coming, but when it comes, I doubt it'll look how I expect. And Christmas stirs all this up for me. These promises, they stir all this up for me. Let's talk about gifts real quick before I end. What do you buy for the person who has everything? What do you buy for the person who has everything? What should you get for the person who has everything? How about nothing? But you haven't got the guts to do it, have you? Come down Christmas morning, nobody's getting anything because everybody has everything. It's over. Go to bed. All right, let's, let's, get, the, let's get the... I'm kidding. <laughs> Please give me money. I need... I have bills to pay. <laughs> Yeah, don't buy me anything. I got stuff that I need to pay. Sorry. (laughs) Who said that? It was Gloria. Amen. Bless her Lord. Help us, Jesus. All right. Prayer team can come on forward. Isn't that a great joke, though? What do you get the person who has everything? Nothing, but you haven't got the guts. (laughs) One more time. Do they do it? You got to buy another house to put the stuff in. Mm. That's first world problems right there. <laughs> what do you guys got? I feel like a midget next to my Okay. I won't repeat that. It's a general prayer for anybody. Yeah. General, general prayer pray for anyone. Prayer. Pray for John since he hit that high note. Anything? No. Okay, cool. Let's go ahead and stand. Ah, Jesus, we thank you for your arrival, your showing up as one of us to carry our burdens and to show us what love looks like and to show us the Father and to fulfill every promise in surprising ways. Thanks that you come to each of us like you came to Abraham and you meet us at the point of our need. You meet every one of us individually at the point of our need and you have a story with each one of us just as real as the stories in the Bible. And, you, and you're faithful to each one of us, and you care for each one of us, and you have a journey with each one of us. So I ask, God, that, that this season we would settle into our imperfection and let you walk with us in our imperfection in a broken world. And we ask, God, for you to take us just a little deeper, take us just a little deeper. In Jesus' name, God's people said. Amen. Amen. Thanks for being here.